Good morning. Good morning. Hey, yes, yeah, not bad. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to uh, to meet yet, my name is my name is Matt. Um, I uh, hello. That's, that's, yes, that's what I was looking for. I needed that. Um, I, as you can probably tell, I'm not uh, I'm not from Canada. I'm actually from England. I, I moved out. Shock and surprise from the English person on the front row there. Shouldn't surprise you. Uh, so I'm actually uh, from from England. Uh, I, I came over in, in February to, to help out uh, with the church, to serve Rich, to serve this church, to serve this uh, city, and it is great to be here. I've been enjoying my first um, eight months or so uh, tremendously, and it's great to be here as well in Coleman. I know I've spoken to a lot of you, and you, you've just been enjoying this place, this, this venue as well. So it's, it's good to be here. Um, we are... Uh, we are in this series right now, uh, which we are calling uh, Jesus, Con or King. So if you have a, a Bible or a, a phone that has a Bible on it, please do turn uh, to the, the book of Mark. And wh- what we're essentially doing with this, with this title is really sketching out this spectrum of people's responses to the claims of Jesus. You know, there'll be, there'll be many people here today who would say, actually, yes, you know what, uh, Jesus, I, I believe that Jesus is exactly who... I, I, he, he said he was, that he is king of the whole world. But then there'll be other people here this morning who would say, actually, I'm far more towards this end of the spectrum, that the, the claims of Jesus, I don't believe them. Either, either he made them up, or uh, maybe his disciples just made them up, or maybe the church did, right, hundreds of years later. Um, and I, I know we're going to really enjoy uh, looking at Mark chapter 1 this morning, because actually the claim that Mark makes this morning about who Jesus is just actually goes way beyond even that of a mere earthly king. So we're going to have a good time with Mark chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, um, then yes, open to uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So that's all we're going to read this morning. In fact, it's all we're going to look at both this week and next week. I'm going to take what we've just read from one angle, and and Rich is going to take it from another next week. Um, So yeah, shall we pray? Let's pray. Yes, Father, thank you that by your Spirit you are here. Holy Spirit, we we love you. We love that what you do is you reveal the Son to us. And so, would you just have your way with us? We want to see you. We want to know you better. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if anyone here has had one of those moments that is essentially like a, um, uh, a moment of realisation where you think you know somebody or you think you know something, uh, but then something happens and you just you see them in a brand new light. Like, oh, I thought I knew this person, then something happens. Oh, I, now, I, now I know them. Um, I read a story in, uh, uh, on a uh, news website a couple of weeks back about this, um, this guy in China who bought uh, some puppies. He was travelling on the, the southern border of China, bought two puppies, and then later had a moment of realisation that they weren't puppies, they were actually bears. So, and I, I'm going to leave up to you, your imagination, what, what that moment of realisation was like. In my imagination, it just it was mainly just screaming. Um, I actually, because um, when, I, when I came here, it's from... Uh 
from uh, from England, I didn't actually know very many people. I didn't even know Rich very well. But like in the first six months, I I thought, I thought you know I got to know this man pretty well. I could tell you a bit of his story. I could tell you a bit of what it was what it was like. Um, but then a couple of months ago, um, so I needed to transfer some money from England to Canada, and so I asked I asked Rich, um, oh how do you do that? And so he gave me this number of a company to call, and so I gave this this company a ring, and the guy on the phone said, oh, so um, who referred you to this company? And I said, Rich Crosby. And he said, Rich Crosby? Rich Crosby, the amazing Crosby. <laughs> and, and I said, yes. <laughs> he said, oh, Rich Crosby, oh, how is the old Crosinator doing these days? And, and I said, oh, what, uh, what, he's, uh, what he's, he's just had another baby. Another baby! Another one! Oh, what a legend! What an absolute cracking legend! And so I'm thinking, wow, this guy knows Rich. Like, they must know each other from way back. What, what things did I learn about Rich? Like, I'd see him from, in a whole new light. And so I asked him, how do, how do you know Rich? He said, oh, we, we know each other from way back. Back when... Um, Back when we lived in Athens, and I'm thinking, wow, I never knew, I never knew Rich lived in Athens. This is exciting. And he went on. He said, yeah, he was. Uh, it was back when he was married to Susanna. <laughs> what? Susanna, who is this? What, what hidden past life am I uncovering here? And so I said, what, what, I'm, I'm throwing for a loop, what, what were you doing in Athens? And he said, and I promise you, I'm not making this, I'm not exaggerating it in any way, word for word, this guy said, oh yes, we had a couple of bank jobs out there. <laughs> Chops. Rich Crosby used to be married to someone who was called Susanna in Athens and robbed banks. And it all makes sense. He's come to Ottawa. He's come all the way here to start a church, which, as we all know, is the perfect escape. <laughs> Didn't bother to change his name, though. That would be too obvious, right? So... I'm thinking, oh, I finished my business, I'm, I'm thrown for a loop, I, I don't know what to make of Who am I discovering? What scandalous hidden past life have I uncovered? Well, later that very same day, my phone rings, and who is it? It's the bank robber, he's calling me. And uh, I don't know if you remember this phone call, but immediately I picked up, it was odd, because there were, there were, I just heard there's water lapping around, you remember this? You were in, a, in the middle of a lake, I think, in a canoe? <laughs> Which, if you think about it, is exactly where you would be if you are on the run from the Greek police, you know? And so, so I, know, I know I've got to be subtle. I've got to be really subtle. So I ask him, really subtle, did you ever live in, uh, in Athens and rob banks with your wife, Susanna? And he said, what? And it was at the moment, like, the moment of realisation for me that actually there's probably more than one Rich Crosby in the world. The moment of realisation that Rich Crosby is actually exactly as he appears to be. So if anyone was hoping that he would be uncovered to be a bank robber, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's probably a good thing, right? Moments of realisation, you know, 
what we just read here in Mark chapter 1, there's this moment of realisation. Moment of realisation, both for the people who were down on the bank of the river Jordan, but also for us this morning as we read who Mark is portraying Jesus to be. And in a way, it's, it's the com- complete opposite of that story with Rich, because, you know, Jesus would have looked completely normal. But if you, the, the Bible doesn't say much about Jesus' descript- you know, appearance, but one thing it does say is that there was, there was nothing about him that would have attracted you to him. There was nothing about his his appearance, you just think, oh, that's a charismatic person. If you had seen him walking along in Galilee, you would have thought, oh, he's just a, a carpenter. You wouldn't have thought, whoa, that's, that's the Son of God. You just wouldn't have thought of that. But who Mark shows Jesus to be this morning, I mean, there's something just so, so very different even to an earthly king. Now, why is that important to see? Why is it important to see who, who Jesus is? I mean, it might not be surprising that a bunch of Christians this morning are talking about Christ. It just, you know, that's what you'd expect Christians to do. But at a more fundamental level, why is this important to do? And if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, why, why, why should you care? Why, why should you care? To answer that question, you know, I think there's a bigger question at stake here. The question is, what is God like? What is he like? You know, when we even use the word God, what, what do we mean? What do we mean? Because if you think about um, people, just the world, the majority of people in the world, billions of people believe that there is a God. Even in, in Canada, in, in Ontario, I was reading a, a, a study from a couple of years ago that um, 70% of people in this province would say, yes, I, I think there is a God. 70% of people, probably in Ottawa, would say, yeah, you know what, I, I think there would be a God. But that's 70%, those billions of people would disagree wildly as to what that God was actually like. Wouldn't they? I mean, if you ask them, what, what do you think God is like? Well, some people would say, well, God is one. And other people would say, well, God is three in one. And others still would say, well, God, I think, is more of a, uh, an essence or a, or a power or a, a force. And still others would say, well, God, I think, is, is, is good, but he's also evil. He's both of those things, and, and that's what God is. And, and still others would say, you know what, there's millions of gods. There's loads of them. There's just a pantheon of gods, and you can, you can have your favorites, and you can pray to your favorite god in order to beat up the other god. I mean, this is... So many understandings of what we mean, even by that three-letter word, God. In, in a multicultural nature, uh, nation like, like Canada, that's just going to be the case. You know, it's been that way for a very long time. You know, asking this question, how do we figure out, how do we even approach answering the question of what is God like... Uh, I'm quite. I'm quite glad I'm not the the first person to be trying to answer that. People have been tr- figuring this out and thinking about it and coming up with ideas for thousands of years. And for Christians, for, in Christianity, a very kind of important moment came in uh, in, in how we answer this question around the fourth century. In the 4th century, there's this North African chap called Arius. Now, Arius, he, he, he led a church in, uh, in Alexandria, in Egypt. And he said, okay, here's, you want to you figure out how God is like here, what, what God is like here is how you work that out. Essentially, what you do is you look around and, and you, see, uh, you, know, you see what you can see. And from human experience, you work your way up. And from that, you figure out who God is. Right? It's all from human experience and what you can see. So if we were going to go down, let's, let's do it, right? Let's go down Arius' uh, um, road of thought for a second, okay? We look around us now and we say, hey, look at this, there's a, there's a creation here. Therefore, God must be a creator. 
And maybe we, we look outside these, these big uh, windows and we see, wow, I mean, look out onto Elgin, look up into the sky, I think this creation is very, very big. And therefore God himself must be very, very big. And we, we might see that... Um, you know, there's, uh, we might observe that there is sort of, oh look, there's, there's gravity, there's, um, uh, there's, there's, there's laws, and, and there, there, there's order to the universe. And so we might say, oh, well, God is like, he's, he's a ruler, he's a lawgiver, that's who God is. And then in, <laughs> I just realized there's more water than I meant to pour on the ground there. But, so in, in a few minutes' time, when I forget about that and I just slip over, you, you might observe, hang on, there, there, do you see there's, there's consequences for what you do? And so maybe we would say, oh, God is also, uh, he's a judge as well. He's a judge. And so the, the, when we go down Arius' um, road of thought, well, the, the God that we end up with is, a, is this God who is creator and he's big and he's ruler and he's lawgiver and he's a judge. So that's one way we could go. All the human experience, working bottom up to work out who God is. But there was another guy in this very same church in, in Egypt, Alexandria. Called, this guy was called Athanasius. And Athanasius, he heard what Arius was saying. He said, no, 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 no. You can't work out. You can't just look around you and and work your way up to God. You can't just hope you get it right like that. Because we'd all, all depending on our experience, depending on what we saw, we'd end up with a different God. We can't do that. No, the only way, the only way we can know who God is and what he is like is if God himself comes down. If, if God comes down, if God speaks to us, that is the only way that we can know what God is like. And listen, if God says nothing, if, if, if God does not come down, if God does not speak, then we, can, we, we will know nothing about God. But Athanasius' point was this. No, no, God has come down. He has come down as Jesus. And, and as we've just read, God has spoken from heaven. And so because of that, because Jesus has come down, we can know who God is and what he's like just by looking at Jesus. So, let's actually go down Athanasius' route, right? And let's do that. Let's, let's find out who God is and what he's like by what, uh, looking just at what we've, what we've read this morning. So, let's find out what God's like. You are my beloved Son. Now, immediately, we, we start off going down a very, very different road. You are my beloved Son. First off, Jesus is the Son. That means God must be a Father. What a different starting place. What a, what a completely different... Because if you think about it, before God created everything, He wasn't a creator. But from, from eternity past, Jesus has always been the Son. And therefore, God has always been a loving Father. God has always been a life giver. That's just who he is, in and of himself. And because, as well as that, we've just read that Jesus is the, is the beloved son. He's the beloved son. Fundamentally, at the root core of who God is, God is a God of love. You know, when we, could, when we do Aries' bottom up from human experience trying to work out what God is like, we never get to a God of love. We get to a God that is, is very big and very powerful and a judge and a lawgiver, but we never end up with a God who is loving in and of himself. 
you know, we, we end up with a God that if he wants to be loving, he's got to create something in order to be the God of love. But no, 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 that's not the Christian God. The Christian God is one that has always, from eternity past, been a God of love and who creates a universe because he is so loving that it overflows. How could he not? How could a God this loving not overflow with love so that we, we get to share in? Now, this is the big problem with Arius' view is because if you're having a bad month or a bad year or a bad decade, your human experience, when you read that up to God, you end up with a God who is not only big and powerful but very far away, very far away, maybe cold, maybe angry with you. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we let our human experience dictate who God is. Maybe if you have one good day, one bad day, your view of God just changes. And, and Athanasius's point is: No, you can't do that. If you want to know what God is like, you have to just look at Jesus. Do you want to know what the invisible God looks like? We look at Him. I'm so glad that that's the Christian God that we have. This God who is fundamentally in and of Himself a Father and a God of love. And so what we've read here uh, is just, you know, my beloved son. And Jesus says this in other, another place as well. So in John 17, Jesus repeats back to the Father what the Father speaks to him here. Yeah, there's this, just this amazing prayer that Jesus prays to the Father. He says, you have loved me since before the foundations of the world. And he actually goes further. He, he goes, and you know these people that you have given me? I, I, Father, I pray that they would know that they are loved as much as I am loved. This is, this is big. This is who God is. That for eternity past, Jesus has been enjoying with the Spirit the love of the Father. How could he not overflow in love, create this creation, come down to us? Because this is just who he is. You know... If you're not a Christian here today, there's a challenge here for, for you. Because there is this, I think, this general understanding, this general um, feeling that love is the greatest thing, right? The greatest virtue. I, I did this thing a few years ago where I just got into this um, habit of asking people, sometimes just complete strangers, I just asked them the question, what is the most important thing in life? Like, what's, what do you think is the most important thing in life? And nine times out of ten, the, the, the answer that I would get from people would be, oh, um, family, right? Friends, um, personal relationships, these are the most important thing. You know, love, love is the most important thing. And then sometimes, sometimes you get other answers, right? But even those answers, like sometimes people would say health. Health is the most important thing. But prodding a little bit further, asking a few more questions, it would always turn out that, oh, a family member's just been diagnosed with cancer or a friend has died. Even with the, that answer, it just shows that people tend to think love, yeah, that's the greatest thing. But... If you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe there is a God... I mean, I hear humanists, humanist writers all the time writing and saying things like, oh yes, there is no God, but... There is no God, but still, love is really important. Love is the greatest thing. Love is uh, super important. We should, we should do it. But my challenge is, why? Why? If, if you take that and you scratch below the nice polish, the veneer of love is really nice, love is really important, scratch beneath that, what is the power, the underlying power that's driving the universe? In the, in the atheist, in the humanist mindset, it is just raw, random chance. It's chaos. It's just things happening and colliding, and that is it. It's just entropy. There's, there's nowhere for love to be rooted in an absolute reality. There's just no way you can do 
hear that. As much as you can say, our oh, love is important. You know what? It's only the Christian, I believe, that can, can take love and root that in an ultimate reality. That to, The Christian can say, love is the greatest thing, because the greatest one, God, is love. It changes everything when we see this is, we do have a reason to think. Love is the greatest thing, because God is love. What a, what a significant moment of revelation, realisation, what we've read in Mark chapter 1 this morning is. But we see the Father speaking to the Son and saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And, and next week Rich is going to really start to unpack what it means, to be, uh, what, what it means when Jesus is the beloved of, of God. So, ooh, what has happened here? Hang on, one moment. Yes. Excuse me. So would the original hearers, this is a question, right? Would the original hearers down by the river have thought, oh yes, right, um, Jesus, uh, he, he must be God. Would they have heard that, that, that proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God and thought, oh, he must be God? Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I can, I can say for sure. But I, want, I, I bet some of them would have wondered. I, I bet some people would have, would have thought, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on this. I'm going to see what he does. Because that, 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 that was not a, a normal thing to be said from heaven, right? That you are my beloved son. So uh, what, what is very clear is that after, after G- this is said about, about Jesus, Jesus starts to go and starts to do things that really only God could do. That only God could, could do. I don't know what you'd think of if I was to ask you, what, would, what story would you go to? I, I think of the, the story where this, this man is brought to Jesus on a mat, right? He can't walk. And Jesus looks at this man who, can't, who, who just can't walk, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Which is an odd thing to say to someone who, who can't walk. But all the, all the religious scribes, it says, were just, they heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, and they just start to lose their minds, right? They're, they're freaking out because they know these religious scribes, they know that Old Testament. They know that only God, forgiveness belongs to the Lord. Only God can forgive. And uh, it, it says they were thinking, oh, what, how, how can this man blaspheme in this way? And what he means there is, how can this man set, make himself equal to God? And Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, and so then he then heals this man to, in order to show, listen, I don't just, I don't just talk a good talk. I, I also have the complete authority uh, to, to, to show you that I am exactly who I've said I am. Well, how's this for, um, for, for another story? You know, we, we'll get to this, this story a bit later, probably next year. But there's this guy comes to Jesus, and this guy is, he's described as a, a, a rich, young uh, ruler. Okay? So he's, he's young, but he's wealthy, he's got, he's got some, some money, um, but he's also he's involved in government as well. You know, he, he's, he's got a position of power, rich, young ruler. I mean, this person sounds the most Ottawa person I maybe would see. In uh, just a guy who works in government, he's got money, he's he's doing well, and what's more, we actually find out he he's really he's like a righteous kind of guy. He's trying to keep all the commandments, and he comes to Jesus and he he says to Jesus, "Good teacher," he says to him, "Good teacher." 
And Jesus doesn't let him get away with that. Because he, he knows that this man is coming to Jesus and he just thinks, oh, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good teacher. He's like every other teacher, every other good teacher that there is. You know, all the other uh, rabbis and the gurus and the self-help authors. He's just like all of those. Just like all of those. So I will go to him and ask ask his advice, like I ask the advice of everyone else. And, and, And Jesus doesn't let him get away with that. He says, why, hang on, good teacher, why do you, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Right? He's saying to the man, hey, hang on, let's, let's, let's change the definition of good here. No one is good but God alone. No one is truly good. No one is truly perfect except God. So, what's it going to be? Are you going to still think, oh yeah, he's a decent guy, he's a good teacher? Or are you going to choose, am I, am I who I've been saying I am? Or do you just think I'm, do you just think I'm good? You know, this, this view of, of Jesus as, as merely a good teacher is a really popular one. I don't know, I'm sure you come across it all, all the time. I remember back in, back in England, I was uh, a couple of years ago, I was learning to drive. And my, my driving instructor, uh, he, he just loved getting into all these discussions of, the, of religious stuff, of philosoph- philosophical stuff. Just loved talking about this, which is great for him, but it was awful for me because I, just, I needed to learn how to drive without killing anybody. And that was my main... But I'm, I'm, so I'm, not, I'm there having all these philosophical conversations while I was trying not to run anyone down. You know, that was my, that was my goal. And so we were talking about things like suffering and pain and death, which are all things that are probably you feel when you're in a car with people learning to drive, that a certain significance to the conversation. And, and one day I asked him, I just said, hey, who, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? And this guy is in his 60s. He said, oh, well, Jesus, he was, re- he was really the first hippie, wasn't he? He was the first hippie. He, uh, he just went around telling people to love people. And that's all Jesus was, just a good guy. He had some moral, good moral teachings to say. Listen, Jesus, when you, when you come to the words, whether it's what we've read this morning in the book of Mark or all these other points we, 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 that we're going to see, you, you'll see that this, this charge, oh, he's just a good guy, he's just a teacher, he's just a man. When you come to the words that he actually said, he, he rejects that at every single turn. He just doesn't let that, that um, description of oh, a good teacher stick. No, listen, you come to me and you say, good teacher, listen, you have no idea how good I am. I'm not to let you just go away thinking that you've, you've got what you wanted. You've got a good bit of advice and you can put it with all the rest of your advice. He rejects that claim at every term. You see, this, this claim that Jesus is making, that he is God, come as a man, just starts building and building and building. You're gonna, I, I want you to keep an eye as we, as we go through the book of Mark. Keep an eye on, on that because we'll see it building. And it, people get increasingly angry. There's this moment where people uh, form this angry mob. They're going to throw stones at him until he's dead. And this angry mob says, it's not because of anything you've done that, that we're stoning you. It's not for the good things you've done. We're stoning you because you keep on making yourself equal to God. And that's just not allowed. And of course, at some stage, they do eventually kill Jesus. In fact, in, at the trial, they throw out all sorts of accusations at Jesus, saying he did this, he did that, and none of them stick. They're contradicting one another. But the only charge that does stick is this man has made himself king of the world. This person has made himself equal to God. You know, if, if we miss, if we miss this, 
We're, we miss the point of the entire story of Mark. That God himself has come to us. God himself has revealed himself to us. You know, that, that if we are to look at Jesus, we see, we see God. We see the invisible God. As, as the writer to the Hebrews says, the, the radiance of the glory of God. This is talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. To look at Jesus is to see God. If we miss that, we'll, we'll misunderstand the whole book of Mark. So let's look at one last example in the book of Mark of, of where, where we see Jesus as God come as a man. And it's at the moment of his death. He's on the cross and he dies and this is what it says. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. See, this centurion, he he has his own moment of realization, this moment of revelation, when he sees just the way that he breathed his last, the way that the, the... that massive um, curtain that represented the, the division between God and man, torn from top to bottom. When he sees this, he goes, he just says, what, what have I done? What have we done? This man is exactly who he's been saying he is all along. This man is the son of God. You know, this, this is the God we worship. A God so loving that he comes to earth. He comes and allows himself to be hated and spat upon and beaten and ultimately executed. So that we... uh, And on the cross he he gets forsaken by Jesus. He is rejected. Jesus is rejected and forsaken by God. So that you and I will never be forsaken or rejected by God. This is the God who, who... from Jesus, from eternity past, enjoying, experiencing the love of the Father. And he comes down and he is rejected so that you and I may be forgiven. And more than, more than forgiven, but loved as much as the, the Son is loved by the Father. This is what we get to experience. And we're going we're gonna to respond in a couple of ways in a minute. We're going to break bread. Together we're going to take the wine. And um, Rich is going to talk us through that in a little bit. Um, yes, before we worship, shall we, shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that you, have, you, you love every single person in this room. Father, I, I love, I'm amazed, my mind is just boggled by this idea that you, before the foundation of the earth, when, when you loved Jesus from eternity past, you also had chosen me, that you had chosen us to, to step in and experience this love, this incredible this incredible relationship that we get to have now. Father, I I thank you that it's not all based on human experience, that we don't try and work you out, but God himself has come down to reveal himself. Lord, I I just pray, as we we go on through this series in Mark, Father, I, I pray by your Holy Spirit, would you continue to reveal the Son to us? We want to see Jesus clearer. We want to know him better because by seeing Jesus we see God and it is all about you. There is no one like you. 
We thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you for what you have won on the cross. That we have full forgiveness. Lord, our shame and our guilt and our sin is taken away there on that cross. You are a marvellous God and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.